has some interesting uh, things to look at here. Remember that Ezekiel is very visual, and he's actually in this vision seeing this. So try to put yourself in Ezekiel's place and see if you can visualize this scene, verses 1 to 10. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So, this is another time when the hand of the Lord is upon Ezekiel. That links this with other visions. Vision chapter 1, chapter 8, chapter 40, where the hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel. And he was transported and uh, put in a place where he could see, you know, certain things. Particularly, that was true in chapter 8 and chapter 40. And uh, in this particular uh, occasion, where was Ezekiel placed by the hand of the Lord? Yes. Now look at chapter 40, verse uh, 1 and 2. And where was Ezekiel placed by the hand of the Lord? On a high mountain. So this is a, somewhat of a contrast to the vision that we will see. Here he's in a, a valley. Um, what do you know about valleys? Most, yeah. They're, they're lower than mountains. They're lower than mountains. And I think there is some symbolism behind that. The situation of the nation was very low. There's an appropriate thing to see set in a valley. Reminds me of Zechariah chapter 1, where um, the horses were in a valley because the situation of God's people was very low at that time. God puts things topographically where they fit and communicates to us in many uh, different ways. So in this case, what does Ezekiel see in this valley? Bones. Um, what kind of bones? Dry bones. Very dry bones. Yeah, very dry human bones. Actually, he's taken in verse 2, and the Lord just sort of uh, causes him to, to be led in and out and around through these bones. Think of like skeletons. Only these are not like formed skeletons, but these would be bones that would have come off of skeletons. It's got sort of like... <laughs> I guess so. That's usually where they come from. Well, as opposed to, you know, you lose an arm, you know, or something. And, uh, it just ran away. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, we've had people die here. You know, lots of people die. And and it's perhaps that the, the skeletons just disintegrate to the point where it's just, uh, you know, bunches of bones. And the fact that they're very dry would indicate what? 
Dead a long time? Yeah, been dead a long time. You know, uh, if you hadn't been gone long, the bones would still be more, you know, wet and fresh. But the longer they go, the drier and drier they would get. And uh, it's interesting that God shows him very dry bones. What, what's the point of these bones being very dry in the overall context of what God does? Israel? I mean, they were very dead. They were very dead, and what is God going to ultimately do with these bones? Revive them. Is it easier or harder to revive <laughs> as the bones get drier? <laughs> <laughs> they both sound pretty difficult to me, but... But we would assume that as the dryness increases, the difficulty of the revival increases. Reminds me of how God operates. Where God likes to do things that make it even more impossible, what he's about to do. Just because Chelsea call, calls you think it's going to be bad? No, what, no, Mondays have bad things. Oh. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. I guess Mondays have been kind of bad. Maybe this will be a good Monday. Maybe she, maybe she just, you know, ended up winning the Publisher's Clearinghouse and she's got millions of dollars that she's going to share with you guys. Bye. It was very unimportant. We're going to dress like tonight. I wonder why she didn't tell me that. She didn't want you to dress like. No. Did I tell Oh, wait. We need to study. Okay. I'll tell him later. So, can you think of another case where the way that it was made the miracle seem even more impossible? I know, I know. Yes. Actually, I can think of two. But, um, so what this reminds me of actually is raising Christ in that it was it it was like it was on the third day and the Jews believed that the spirit sort of hovered around or actually no wait mix that Lazarus it was on the fourth day and they thought that the spirit sort of hovered around for three days yeah and so he waits till the fourth yeah and the other mm-hmm. one was Gideon yeah. and but 300 men instead of the 24,000 or whatever. Yeah, 32,000, but yeah. Those are both good. Neither one of them was what I was thinking of. What's the question? What's the question? (laughs) Making the miracle harder so that it shows God's glory more. He does that almost every miracle he does. Yes. I'm thinking of one where... uh, God was going to spontaneously combust something. The uh, caramel. Yeah, and what did Ezekiel do to facilitate the spontaneous combustion? Elijah, not Ezekiel. Did I say Ezekiel? Sorry about that. Elijah. And the water would have been scarce because they had the famine. Yeah, and and they, you know, he doused it with 12 buckets of water, you know, which, I mean, God bringing fire down from heaven to consume any sacrifice is an obviously, you know, incredible (laughs) miracle. But to ignite a doused, drenched, waterlogged animal is even more impressive. So I think, you know, you see these, these bones are dry. They're really dry. 
the, the, the fortunes of God's people are really dead, and there's just, there's no hope. This looks like it's just, it's just all horror, it's final, it's desperate, and God comes to Ezekiel and says, Son of man, can these bones live? That question doesn't seem like a very good question. You know, like when somebody asks a question that everybody knows the answer to. Are you following Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but what does Ezekiel have the presence of mind to respond with? That was a smart answer. Don't ever be too quick to answer the Lord's questions. He uh, sort of returns the ball to the Lord's court. It would be best if we all were quicker to confess our ignorance, when in fact, whether we know it or not, we are ignorant. And uh, I really like the question in verse 3, because I've looked at some churches and some brethren and asked the same question. <laughs> you know, sometimes you uh, wonder about that. You know? And uh, perhaps, rather than just answering that so quickly, we ought to take that one to the Lord too. He is able to bring life when we think that these bones can never live. So there is a good lesson maybe just in that question and Ezekiel's willingness not to give the obvious answer. Questions and comments through verse 3. So, what does God tell Ezekiel to do? Prophesy. Prophesy to the bones and say, Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. What is the problem with that? Exactly. You know, this is not going to work, but that's what God said to do. That's what he does. And so he tells the bones that God's going to bring them back to life and he's going to, to cause them to live again. Um, again. There are times when it may seem rather hopeless to preach to dead people. And perhaps Ezekiel had felt this sometimes in his ministry. You know, what was the use? You know, these pile of bones I'm preaching to don't have any spiritual ears. But God tells him to do it, and as he's prophesying, what happens? Rattle. They start rattling. I love the word rattle. Yeah. And what do they start doing? Yeah, exactly. This is weird. This would have been really an eerie sight. You see this whole valley full of bones starting to rattle, and these bones starting to join up to each other and form skeletons again. And 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 before you know it, what else is there with the skeletons? The flesh. The flesh, yeah. They actually, you know, start getting a body around these these bones. And uh, that's really amazing. Um, but they're still dead. You know, it's kind of like when somebody dies, you know. I mean, at first, there's still a body around those bones. But, but if they're dead, they're dead. You know, and so the, the body around the bones is still a dead body around these bones. And the Lord has Ezekiel do what? Prophesy to the bricks. Yes. Prophesy to the breath uh, and, and asking the winds to breathe on the, the, these bodies, these bones, so that they'll come to life. 
Now it's interesting that Ezekiel himself is not permitted to simply preach them back to life. But it takes the Spirit of God, the breath of God, to bring these bones back to life. Reminds you of what? Absolutely. Didn't the same process occur there? Even after God formed man, he had to breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. Life is something different than the physical material body that we've got. You know, we still need life, uh, and so God brings these bones back to life, and because God breathes in them, they come to life, and they're this big army now of, of people. Comments and questions? This passage was read twice yesterday, I think. Awesome. So, you know, this was already in my head. And I had this, I kept seeing the little bones from this side of the valley going, oh, wait, where's my other bone? And flying through the air and joining up with another one. So I've been visualizing this. It's very strange. I wasn't seeing flying bones, but that would be quite a, quite a thing. Guess you'd need a duck. <laughs> sort of more envisioning that the uh, bones from similar skeletons were probably nearby, and they just kind of, you know, sort of crawled over and attached themselves, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. What happened? I mean, then did they just collapse again? Uh, well, I guess Ezekiel was taken on to other pastures. They not really say what happened to This is in the vision uh -oh. now. It's a vision. This isn't literally happening, but he literally sees it. It's kind of like you know, it's kind of like when you're dreaming and then you wake up. What happens to what you were dreaming about? This isn't a vision. Yeah, so it's it's really like he's in a trance or a dream and he sees all this, but when he wakes up, of course it's not gonna be there. I still want the rest of the story. I want my dream to end. <laughs> uh, well, sorry. This passage because it helps define prophecy and prophesy. Because so many people want to refer to that as only refer, you know, predicting the future. And here he said, prophesy to those bones. <laughs> tell them to get up. <laughs> it wasn't like predicting. <laughs> Yeah, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought about using this passage with that, but that's exactly right. Just speaking the Lord's order to the bones. Well, in the book of Revelation, we had those that say, well, it's a prophecy. So it's all talking about <laughs> the future. But it's not. Prophecy no. just means, I don't even know if it's got a bit a uh, religious, I mean, the meaning of the word prophecy, just a message, isn't it? Delivering a message, or obviously in the Bible here, it's a message from God, but it's, uh, I mean, when he uses it there in Exodus with uh, Mo Aaron being Moses' prophet. You know, it's just, he's his spokesman. I mean, spokesman, yeah. you know, Moses often had religious messages, but it's still the idea that Aaron's going to be his press secretary. The press secretary of God. <laughs> you let the fire go out. Wouldn't you know? <laughs> Sarah always laughs at everything I say. I really appreciate her. She needs to be in all of my studies. Would somebody just endow her to accompany me to, to study? It's a laugh at his tongue. You could yes. just record it. <laughs> <laughs>
had a laugh track and you just pushed the button. Yeah, that was a good idea. Yeah, that's cool. And you, I could do like a little laugh, a big laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah a medium-sized laugh, yeah. But most of mine deserve a big laugh, actually. Yeah. All right, other questions or comments through 10? Is, is there any significance to the fact that they were called a great army as opposed to like a multitude or a group of people? Were these bones warriors before they were bones? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's how they became bones, because there's the battle. Yeah. But don't you oftentimes think of God's people as an army and fighting? So the significance might be they're God's people, or He's bringing His people back to life. I don't have a good answer. Other comments and questions? It's the Valley of Acor as a doorpost. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Say that again. The Valley of Acor as a doorpost. Jerry's from the passage. Hosea 2, 15. 14 or 15, whatever. 15. Do you know what that means? <clears throat> oh boy, <laughs> here we go. It's a good passage. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good passage. Hosea oh. something, okay. It's the, the punishment as the means of access to the blessings. It has to do with uh, Achan. Achan and when he took the stuff after Stoning of Achan and his family was what, what led God to be able then to bless Israel again. Because the Valley of Achor is where they stoned him. That's correct. Ah, okay. Gotcha. My paradigmatic passage on that. So I don't know if that's the way you pronounce that word. Works for I don't know. Paradigmatic? I don't know. What's a paradigm? Paradigm is like a, a model. Like a... Paradigm. A yeah. motto, maybe. Model. It's, yeah. it's a way, it's also like a way of looking at something. Yes. If you, if you look at a group of whatever in one sense, like as, as like a structure of balls or something, but then if you look at it in a Look at it from a different angle that you have a paradigm shift, paradigm shift, and you look at it from a different angle. So it's really big in the uh, corporate inspirational speakers' vocabulary. Yes. You have a new paradigm, new a new way of looking. Yes, at it. yeah. New and they model. Charge, they charge lots of money to use that word. <laughs> it's a big word. Yes. So now you've gotten it for free. Wow. So How about that? Yes. <laughs> he said me 20 cents, yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, any other uh, wise remarks? 11 to 14, the meaning of this. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land, 
then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Alright, so the bones represent what? And they were dead, dry bones because? Exactly. Because the hope and the future and the life of this people were, were really dead. You know, there was nothing there was nothing really left for them. And, uh, and, and, and they really didn't have any future perspective. Um, you know, they had been taken into exile. They were out of their land. There was no, there was no further, uh, you know, prospects for this nation. It looked like it was over. And God brought them back, so to speak, out of their graves and gave them life again. Now this is not talking about the bodily resurrection at the end of time. This is talking about the national resurrection where God breathed new life into his people, into the nation of Israel. And uh, God bringing his people back to him again was sort of like a rerun of creation. He started all over again uh, with, with, with Israel. And so this is, this is a, a passage that in very graphic way says, I don't care how dead you think the nation is, God is going to bring it back to life. And it's good for us to see that. That can happen in a church, it can happen with an individual. God loves to bring life from death. God is a God of resurrection. He likes to be dramatic about it, too. And he can do it even if the, uh, the dry bones think that they're dry bones and cut off. I mean, because the house of Israel is the one who's saying, our bones are dried up, we don't have or cut off. It's not just external people looking at it going, well, that nation's taken care of. Mm-hmm. That's right. I mean, God, God is, uh, you know, we, we often think things, you know, well, this is, this is too far gone, you know, God can't deal with this, but God can deal with anything. Other thoughts? This is just a really fine passage, a good one to remember, and an easy one to remember, because you, if you ever saw that, you know, you don't easily forget it. And there's a song about it. Oh, is there really? First of all, yeah, David will like it. Oh, that's true. Every line Cool. All right, 15 to 17. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, And you, son of man, take for yourself one stick and ride on it, for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his, his companions. <coughs> then take another stick and ride on it, for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them for yourself, one to another, into one state, that they may become one in your hand. Okay. Um, think about this, uh, this idea. You've got two sticks. One is for who? And the other for 
Joseph. And you kind of get that written on each stick. And then think about if you had two sticks that were about the same diameter. If you grabbed them in the right way, clamped down on them, that make it look like there's just one stick. You know, you kind of, you know, grab them at the ends. I think that's the kind of idea we've got here. You grab them and you make sort of one stick out of them. Okay? Comments and questions about what he see, what he has uh, Ezekiel do here. Yeah, that'd be a saying, great... Wait, are you saying like this? Yes, like yes, this? yes. Not like this? No, like the first, yes. Okay. Where they become one long continuous stick. Yes, that was a great illustration. Because I hadn't seen it the other way. The other way doesn't mean doesn't help me a whole lot. Uh, you know, there's probably there's several ways people analyze it, but to me, it's the idea you've got two of these that are joined into one, like they're welded back together. But side by side doesn't do as much for me as to come back together end to end, personally. Is this Judah and Israel? Yes, it is. Okay, and the first one is Judah and the second one is Israel. That's correct. Because they both say Israel, and then the second one says Joseph, Danny, Ephraim, but like, the first one also says Judah. Yes, yes. Judah represents the southern kingdom, and Joseph and Ephraim, the northern. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the first... Yeah. In this person. Yes. But the first stick says Judah and Israel. Yes, because Judah is part of Israel. Yeah. So is Joseph. So they're for Judah's part of Israel and for Joseph's part of Israel, except they're no longer going to be two separate parts. Two so separate instead parts. of being a divided country, he's putting them together. Yes! Precisely! <laughs> Good <laughs> job, Mom! <laughs> wow! That a little slow. I still graduated higher than you. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, man, I should never reveal that. <laughs> it's just that his reaction was so funny. He was like, yes! <laughs> you got it! I was going to say, this is not what the Mormon at work told me this message means. No, it's not. What did he tell you it meant? Well, the, you have Judah, which represents, like, the Jewish nation, and, then you have, and the, the Bible, because it's the testament of Judah. And then you have a testament of Joseph, and so you have to trace the lineage of Joseph. And the people from those people from Joseph they went over and became Smith and wrote the Book of Mormon. And so it's it's something Whoa, to that effect. Oh yes, yeah, yes, that's exactly passage, what they said. This is the the, the Bible, Bible and, and the Book of Mormon. Mormon. They're joined together. So Joseph from the stick of Ephraim is Joseph Smith? Well, no, they're, they're not saying Joseph. <laughs> they're not that. saying Joseph Smith. But, um, but the story of the Book of Mormon is based upon is, those, what, Nephites and whatever yeah. that came over to the New World and they left those stone tablets that, lo and behold, Joseph Smith found and the angel helped him translate and then, voila! we have the, the tablets Mormon. disappeared. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, it was all very sad. So did the angel, but man, we've got the, we've got the Book of Mormon still, so. It just takes, uh, you know, it takes a lot of imagination to come up with some things. You really have to give credit to these guys. I mean, you know, where who would have ever looked at this passage and seen the Bible in the Book of Mormon? I mean, somebody was very, uh, very creative. Yeah, I, I told them I thought it was, you know, the, the northern and the southern kingdom kind of being put back together and then coming back to the land after captivity. Yeah. 
It's not nearly as creative, though. No, it's not. I can be more creative. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's look at the interpretation, 18 to 28. When the sons of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not declare to us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with it, and I will and I will put them with it, and with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will, will be one in my hand. And the sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. And say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations, where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side, and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel, and one king will be king for all of them, and they will no longer be two nations, and they will no longer be divided into two kingdoms, and they will no longer defile themselves with their idols, or with their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. And my servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances, and keep my statutes, and observe them. And they shall live on the land that I gave to Jacob my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons, and their sons' sons forever. And David my servant shall be their prince forever. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them, multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my... <clears throat> sanctuary is in their midst forever. In the first part of this chapter, death was reversed. In this part, division is reversed. You know, you had this, the, the divided kingdom. We call it the divided kingdom, and God is making them one again. Now, the idea of taking sticks and, and putting tribes' names on them, this is not the first time that's happened. Remember when else that happened? Yep. When? <laughs> but there was oh, you want further? <laughs> like, the, like the ephod, the names are on each of the That's tribes. true, but that's not what I'm thinking about. Aaron's staff. Yes. They had the names of all the tribes. And then they had to pick out who, because they were complaining about who was in charge. And Aaron's one budded. Yes, and Aaron's rod was the one that budded. The one budded. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um... <laughs> You know, the, this is this kind of a, uh, you know, using some of that same imagery, you've got some sort of a rod with tribes' names written on it, but in this case, the idea that God's going to join them back together and make them one again. How long have they been divided for? Since Jeroboam. Since Jeroboam stayed. Yeah. So it's a long time. Yeah. How long? How long? Do you know? Yeah. I can tell us. From this yeah. point. I want to say it's like 500 years for some reason. But not, not quite. quite when was the division? What year? <laughs> I don't know. Well, why not? I was thinking that it's 10... <clears throat> 1050 was the beginning of the United Kingdom. 931. So 120 years later. 
So the beginning of the return was about 400 years after the kingdom divided. Uh, so they'd been divided for a long time. And if you think about some of the issues in the division, what were some of the what were some of the things that were divided? The land, the land was divided, and the worship. The worship, yes. Remember Jeroboam's worship centers at Dan and Bethel, as opposed to the worship in Jerusalem. And what else was clearly divided between the two? Well, the tribes and people. How about the kingship? You had two kings. Now, what you see is all of this being brought back into one. They're brought back into one land. They're given one king. God dwells with them in one sanctuary. The idea is that God deals with the issues that divided them and he brings them back united together again. And not only united together, but purified. In verse 23, what's going to change about these people? They will no longer defile themselves with their idols. Yeah. The, the, the captivity seemed to have cured the idolatry. And uh, now they're his people and he's their God. Verse 24, my servant David will be king over them. A reference to Jesus, I think, certainly. Uh, but he's the one king they have, and they obey, and they live on the land, and he's got his covenant with them, and he dwells with them.